0: October 31st, October 31st uh, 2017, many will think it's the celebration of Halloween, but actually, more significantly, it is the anniversary of the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther, a German monk, nailing 95 theses or propositions to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany. He was uh, the chair of biblical studies at the university there, and he simply wanted to spark a debate about some concerns that he had about the Catholic Church that he was a priest within. Little did he realize that it would spark the Reformation that would not only change his life forever, but the course of church history and of history. And so I want us to consider some of the elements of the Roots of the Reformation this morning. I don't know how much you know about the roots. And the fruits that have come from the Reformation this week and next week. And, and not all the fruits were good. Uh, we'll see some of that as well as we look in balance at, at what has happened. But I think we need to understand the significance of that historical event and how it relates to our lives today. Because the biblical truths that emerged from the Reformation in all of its aspects, really should direct our beliefs and our behavior today. And that's what I want to conclude with before I end this message today. So let's begin with the story of the son of a miner in Elsenben, Germany, which was Saxony back then. He was born in 1483, and as it says in your outline, Lightning struck, resulting in a monk. Here's what happened. Luther was intent on becoming a lawyer, and so he entered the university and uh, studied, and he received ultimately his master's in law from that university. And then, uh, about two weeks later, uh, he was caught in a very violent thunderstorm. And there were lightning bolts all around him. He thought he was going to perish in a thunderstorm. So he cried out to the patron saint of the Catholic Church of the Miners. And he said, Saint Anne, save me and I'll become a monk. Well, he honored his vow. And two weeks later, he entered the Augustinian Monastery and uh, did, in fact, become a monk. Now, I want to give you a little background on what had happened with the Catholic Church by that time. This was uh, 1505, I believe, when he entered that monastery. Middle Ages, the Catholic Church really came together in about the 4th century as they began to organize and realize we need to stave off heresy and false teachings. And so they began to organize and appoint uh, not only bishops but ultimately a pope. And the pope in the Catholic Church would receive all kinds of power increasingly. Until finally by the 12th century, Pope Innocent III declared himself the vicar of Christ on earth, a substitute for Christ, and they constructed a a papal order all the way back to Jesus, starting with Peter. But Peter really wasn't a pope, and there weren't popes for hundreds of years. But the power that accrued to the papacy, as the pope was called, that center of authority, flowed out as the church grew into nations to where they could control nations and direct kings and princes and every facet of people's lives. Because the seven sacraments and the rituals of the Catholic Church by that time, uh, really from birth to death, uh, regulated how people lived. And many of those rituals, I have to say, as the church became powerful, it became corrupt. They were used to manipulate and to hold people in fear and to direct their lives. That's the church in which Luther uh, grew up in and then became a priest within. It had, as often happens, uh, turned ugly as power had accrued to the church. Let me mention a couple of the facets of the church that I think are significant for this message. It's really complex, but one of them had to do with the Eucharist or communion, and they had come to believe that during Mass, as the priests celebrated Mass, the bread and the wine were miraculously changed into the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why it was handled so carefully. Uh, That was one of the things. They called it transubstantiation. Another that was very controversial and so abused was a concept that related to purgatory, a doctrine that they developed that would be a place between heaven and hell where most people that were even Christians would go to. Because they still had sins that were not forgiven. And so they created this doctrine of purgatory in which you'd go there and you'd suffer flames and fire until you were cleansed of your sin and go on to heaven. Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient to fully cleanse you. And so, because of that, people really lived in fear. Luther went into that monastery and uh, he pushed himself to gain salvation to gain the acceptance of God. He disciplined his body in such a Spartan way. I mean, he would sleep uh, uh, without a blanket in freezing winter. He fasted for days on end. He, he later said this. He said, I kept the rules so strictly that I may say that if ever a monk got to heaven by his sheer monkery, it was I. If I had kept on any longer, I should have killed myself with vigils, prayers, reading, and other work. Luther was driven by a deep sense of his own sinfulness and God's majesty. He was convinced, even as a monk, that he was a miserable, doomed sinner. No amount of penance or good works that were assigned to him could seem to alleviate his conscience and no comforting words from other uh, priests seemed to make any difference. So it was lightning, a lightning bolt that uh, resulted in a monk. But, Lightning struck again, resulting in a reformation. And that's what I want to focus on for a few moments. Because he was ultimately assigned to the chair of biblical studies there at the university in Wittenberg. And uh, he began to study the scriptures. Now, at this time, uh, only the priests had the scriptures in their own language of Latin. and The people were mainly and mostly illiterate. And many of the priests didn't understand Latin that well. But he was a brilliant thinker and he began to study deeply and he came across passages in the New Testament he'd never seen or focused upon. And one of them that really captured his attention was when Christ was on the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Luther wondered, how could Christ cry that? How could he feel that way? How could he feel forsaken by God? Because he was sinless as Scripture sets forth. And he pondered it, and he finally realized it had to do, somehow, the answer had to do with Christ's identification on that cross with sinful humanity. And then he continued to read, and uh, he was reading in Paul's letter to the church in Rome when that lightning bolt struck his mind, figuratively, and here was the verse. For in it, and he's talking about the gospel, Paul's talking about the gospel, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. And he realized this is it. This is the key to forgiveness and assurance, and that is faith, not works. And he realized that, uh, well, in fact, he said this later on. He said, Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that the just shall live by faith. Then I grasped that the justice of God is that righteousness by which, through sheer grace and mercy, God justifies us through faith. Thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn. And to have gone through open doors into paradise. In other words, Luther clearly saw now that man would be saved by faith in Christ's sacrifice on that cross, that that's where God's justice was met, sin was paid for in his sacrifice, and it would be our faith that connects us to that sacrifice and brings mercy, grace, and forgiveness into our lives and that led him to his famous doctrine of justification by faith. That was unheard of. That was new. That was revolutionary. Now you read the New Testament today and you read passages like Galatians 2:16 and you say how could they have missed it? But you got to understand that whole culture and who taught and what people were raised with. But Galatians 2:16 for instance, where Paul says a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified or declared innocent by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Well, Luther set that forth, but he saw this clashed with the Roman Roman church's doctrine of faith, and good works or deeds or following the dogma of the church or participating in the rituals of the church, which were all necessary for salvation. One of them in particular was that set Luther off and caused him to post those theses on that Wittenberg Castle Church door was the doctrine of indulgences, and it related to purgatory. And it had already been banned in Germany, this doctrine of indulgences. But that's where the church came up with the idea that they could sell scraps of paper uh, that if people paid for them was an assurance that they or their relatives would be released early from purgatory. And uh, as I say, already banned in Germany. But here comes a friar by the name of John Tetzel. And he is selling those indulgences in Germany, so that they can build St. Peter's Cathedral back in Rome. And uh, that got to Martin Luther. And uh, so I've got just a brief clip from the film Luther that came out a few years ago that I think illustrates what happened here. Take a look at this. So you can see just uh, an illustration here of what transpired And uh, it was indulgences that caused him to write that. And the first two elements of that really focused in on those abuses of the church, but so many other uh, problems that had developed within the church. And uh, he said in those 95 theses that God intended people to repent and put their faith in Christ and that that faith alone, not their deeds, would save them. In fact, he even put this in in that document why does not the pope whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest crassus build the basilica of st peter with his own money rather than with the money of poor believers well that message those theses spread throughout germany and beyond and ultimately all the way to rome and we'll look next week a little bit at rome's response and what happened as a result of that but Why did this happen? How was it disseminated so quickly? There were two main factors. One was that the Gutenberg printing press had been uh, invented just about 70 years earlier, and it was ready to crank out the pamphlets, not only of that, but the pamphlets that Luther Luther would later write, uh, uh, spelling out the abuses of the church and calling for reform, and Luther was not the only or even the first reformer There were others. I'll mention some of the major reformers. One of them was in England, Oxford. He was a professor, and uh, his name was John Wycliffe. And uh, he decried the um, privileged status of the priests and the abuses of the papacy and the sacraments. And in particular, he wanted the Bible to be in the people's language. So he translated from Latin into English at that time, the Bible. Uh, He was released and he was hounded because of that. He was a Catholic priest, by the way, in England. Another Catholic priest in Czechoslovakia uh, was John Hus, and uh, he demanded reform, and because of his demands, uh, the Catholic Church said they wanted him to come to trial, but before he was ever brought to trial, they apprehended him and burned him at the stake. Goose in Czech means "goose." The, the phrase "Your goose is cooked came from that, okay? <laughs> Sadly, he paid the ultimate price for his protest of the abuses of the church. Luther, uh, of course, in Germany, a great communicator. I mean, he got the word out in so many ways, and he stood on the Bible and the, as the word of God, as the final authority, and that justification would be by faith and faith alone. In Geneva, Switzerland, there's John Calvin, and a brilliant expositor of the word. He wrote the Institutes of the Christian Religion, and his message went into France and all the way to Scotland with John Knox, and, and then, of course, there was uh, Ehrlich Zwingli up in uh, Zurich, Switzerland. When Dee and I were there in 2012, we followed the Luther Trail and, as, as well as Calvin's in Geneva and saw so many of these places that are just amazing to see and to hear what transpired there. But here's the thing about all these Reformers, just these major Reformers. Every one of them was a Catholic priest. And each one of them didn't want to leave the Catholic Church. They wanted to reform the Church. But they weren't allowed to do so. They were hounded. They were harassed. Uh, One of them was executed. And uh, out of that came the four major uh, early uh, traditions of the Reformation. And that was Lutheranism that came out of Luther. uh, The Reformed from Calvin and his folks. There was the Anabaptist tradition that came out as well. Maybe we'll touch on that next week and uh, the Anglican movement that happened in England with Henry VIII, uh, and that's a whole other story. It's complex, folks. There's good and evil in so much of what happened. And even today, in fact, the Catholic Church did reform uh, with the Jesuits in, in many ways, but it was too little and too late. And so today we have a real mixed bag and you can find good in the Catholic Church and you can find good in the Protestant Church and you can find plenty of evil because there's people in both movements and so I don't want to paint it as just black and white but it was so corrupt that it needed to be reformed and that's what God did through these reformers. Now let's turn to today. Lightning still strikes the hearts of those who connect with the biblical truths set forth in the Reformation. I want to mention several of them here. One of their doctrines or truths was sola gratia in Latin, grace alone. The Reformers believed that salvation was totally of grace. It It was a gift from God. It wasn't merited by Uh, indulgences that you could purchase or priestly blessings that were given. In fact, uh, now we read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and it's so clear, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. And so we see that, and we probably fail to appreciate what that means to us until we really grasp the gospel. It's a perfect gift. Salvation uh, from God that needs no additions. Here's another. Sola fide, or faith alone. This may have been one of the most controversial doctrines of the Reformation, where they said, no man is declared innocent or forgiven simply by faith, where Christ's righteousness is imputed to a person. A person becomes robed in the righteousness of Christ through their faith in what Christ has accomplished at the cross, not by works. And we read in Romans 5, 1, where Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Luther said it was so important that that, uh, upon this article, the church stands or falls. Salvation through faith. Here's the third. Sola Christus, or Christ alone. And Peter had said to the authorities that were trying to silence him in Acts chapter 4, he said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, the name of Jesus, and his sacrifice for sins. And yet today, sadly, well, there was a study done at the University of Virginia recently that said 35% of evangelical Christians deny that faith in Christ is necessary for, or absolutely necessary for salvation. A Barna poll uh, revealed the same thing among conservative Protestants, about the same figure. A fourth of the people said, if a person is good or does enough good things for others during their life, they will earn a place in heaven. That's counter-reformation, but more than that, it's counter-biblical. It's not our good works. It's Christ alone and His sacrifice and our faith in Him. Here's another. Sola Scripture. Scripture alone would be the authority that would determine our rule of faith and practice, what we believe and how we live. It wouldn't be the traditions of the church. It wouldn't be a pronouncement from the pope or any priest. It would be scripture. And every Christian that has access to the scripture can go to the authority itself and see what it says and put that into practice. In fact, Luther said this, From the beginning of my reformation I have asked God to send me neither dreams nor visions nor angels, but to give me the right understanding of his word, the holy scriptures. For as long as I have God's word, I know that I am walking in his way and that I shall not fall into any error or delusion. Here's another. Here's a capstone. Sola Deo Gloria, or glory to God alone. This is one of the most profound statements of the Reformation. That people shouldn't glorify the Pope, or bishops, or priests. That God alone should receive all the praise for creating us, and for saving us. And even when we do good works, they should down to His glory and not our own. Glory should go to God. In fact, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul said, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to His power that is at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, there was, when Luther nailed those theses to that castle church door in Wittenberg wasn't the beginning. It was the spark that set that Reformation off and flowed from there through Europe and ultimately to the ends of the earth. But I would ask the question this morning, do you think the church still needs to be reformed? And I think of Catholicism to Protestantism to the ends of all of Christendom. but do you think the church still needs to be reformed? I think it probably does. Well, what would you write or type on your Mac or PC uh, if you were to type out maybe not 95 theses, uh, but some theses or propositions for the church in America? What would you put on that? In, in fact, this is a little risky, but what, what, what propositions would you type out and post on the door church next week. So we come and we see, oh, okay, Uh, that'll be interesting to see if somebody takes me up on that. But here's what I think is most important and where we need to begin this morning. When you think of the door of your heart, what would Christ write and nail to the door of your heart and mine? What's not quite right in terms of our beliefs or our behavior. Because that's what really needs to affect our lives. And I think the, the biblical truths from the Reformation might be a good place to start. How am I relating to faith in Christ, to living for Him, so that God may receive the glory? And I would ask us to pray about this this week and, and consider that and ask the Lord to show us Because like Martin Luther said, this is a quote of his, we need to hear the gospel every day because we forget it every day. We think it's about us. We think it's about what we do. We think God doesn't really love us or that God uh, can't really forgive us. But that's what the gospel is. The gospel says his sacrifice was sufficient. It's paid for. We simply need to put our faith in what Christ has done and then live by faith. The just, and we've been declared just, shall live by faith in the sacrifice that has been made and in his presence and power in our lives to help us lead lives on purpose. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we're so grateful for men and women who've gone before us who have discovered the truth that you've revealed in your scriptures through the apostles and the prophets before them, and I pray that we'll grasp the gospel and that it'll change our lives from the inside out and we'll no longer be attempting to earn your love or forgiveness, but relishing in it, we'll live for you, lives of intense purpose. Because we love you, not because we fear you, and that we'll grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.